Hey there, and welcome. It's episode nine of the Stick to Syracuse podcast. My name is Brent Dax. So glad to have you here. We've got three great guests lined up for you today, including Joe Driscoll, a man who's traveled the world playing music, but his heart is here in central New York. His story, how he went from activist to councilman. While the Syracuse men's and women's basketball teams made early exits from the NCAA tournament, there's still a basketball team to root on here in central New York, the Syracuse Stallions. A first-year ABA team head to St. Louis this week in search of a championship. Mike Sugamosto, the general manager of the Stallions, tells us how in year one this team has made an immediate impact and will update us on a familiar name from Syracuse basketball who's having a second life as a Stallion. And today on the sound scene with Kathleen Mason, a new duo in town you'll want to take some time to listen to, the Love Tones. Hey, how'd you find us today on the Stick to Syracuse podcast? Did you come through on the link on Syracuse.com or perhaps on social media? Both great ways to find the podcast. But let me remind you, you can subscribe. iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and SoundCloud. You hit that subscribe button and new episodes will pop up wherever you listen to your podcasts. Just so you know, Stick to Syracuse comes out every Monday. Hey, Just Joe, what do you say to get this thing going? Joe Driscoll has traveled the world over playing his unique blend of hip-hop, funk, and acoustic rock. But his heart was always right here in central New York. He took his passion for several issues to the streets. He was pretty good at rallying people together. But that wasn't enough for Joe. He felt like he had to step into the political arena to make a difference. Running for the 5th District of the Syracuse Common Council and winning. Joe is getting ready to run for re-election this year. We talked to Joe, who is the son of a familiar name to many Central New Yorkers, Neil Driscoll, about those issues and more. Joe, it's pretty interesting to me that you took that role. You were an activist. Yeah. Still are an activist. Yeah. But said, I've got to take this a step further. It's one thing to assemble people and, and, and you know, get out there and make people aware of issues. But now you're right in, in the thick of it, dealing with those issues. How have you found that transition? Uh, well, it's always easier to uh, complain about something than to pick up a shovel. So, I mean, it's it's daunting. Uh, you know, you get a lot of... You get a lot of criticism, whichever decision you make, whichever way you go on a lot of issues. You know, I think one thing I've learned about being in office is, you know, you're going to upset 30 or 40 percent of the people, most decisions you make. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I love it, man. I'm really addicted uh, to um, being in office. It's been like great. You know, like one of the one of the initiatives I took, you know, I started as an environmental activist working against the fracking movement in New York. That was a big cause. Uh, I was able to get Syracuse certified as a clean energy community through NYSERDA. We passed some legislation, uh, unified solar permits, making it easier to install solar, um, benchmarking, keeping track of the energy we spend on the city level. And NYSERDA gave us 150000 We replaced all the lighting under 690 with LED lights. So being able to like, make those 
you know, move the ball a little bit in that direction to try to like, you know, obviously that's not going to solve climate change in and of itself, but going from, like you said, from the placards and uniting outside of offices or, or throwing rallies and stuff to actually passing legislation to improve things makes me, it's a lot more fulfilling. What was an eye-opening moment or two for you about making that step forward, being in office? Because let's be honest, some of this is pretty mundane stuff. Yeah. You know, it's not all as exciting as some of these rallies <laughs> that energize people. Yeah, yeah, them, yeah. Some of these yeah. council meetings, some of this, it could make people fall asleep if yeah. they're not really into it. So how have you found that to be kind of sifting through the, the government stuff that's not so sexy? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's 80% of it. You know, I think I, I compared a lot. It's... To me, it's very similar to music in a lot of ways because as a musician, especially as a starting musician and the way the music industry has changed, um, I remember I was I was with um, a guy. I said, I'm not the organized email follow-up guy. He's like, you better be. You got to be. You know. And so, so much of music was, I'd say probably 70, 80% of my time was doing the mundane, boring stuff. And then you get those, those two hours when you're on stage, you know? And it's the same for politics. It's like, waiting through people yelling at me for potholes or we need a new stop sign here. Like that's the bulk of the work. That's like 80, 85% of the work is uh, responding to constituent concerns, chasing down law and codes to get a vacant house torn down or get, get the property owner cited. Those are the things, but um, you get those moments where, you know, like I said, like getting to pass the clean energy community or, um, you know, working on some of the other legislation, you get those moments where you're like, oh, this is really cool, you know? So um, I've, I've enjoyed it, but it's like, yeah, the bulk of it is tedious and, and like you said, really boring stuff, but um, it's worth it for the, for the, for the 20% that pays off, you know? So it's worth it to the sense that you're going to run again. Yeah. And and that's like, as running on a two year term that you do, I mean, (laughs) You're yeah. always running in a way, right? You're it's, always fundraising. You're always, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's got to be annoying, right? Yeah. But you've got a pretty unique way you can do that, though. As yeah. As a musician. So yeah. that's where these worlds collide in a good way, right? Oh, it was great. Last night we had Riley Mann, uh, Charlie Orlando from uh, the Funko Waffles fame, Edgar Pygon, uh, Colin Aberdeen. I, I just call up all my musician buddies. I'm like, hey, dude, I need to get in office again. Come come play for me. And uh, yeah, so they all you know they all donate their time and energy. So I've, I've been able to utilize the music community to, to fund raise but yeah i'm running again you know it's like like i said i i started tapping people up for donations for my real life they're like you're running again didn't you just finish running it's like yeah man it was a year and three months ago that i was just got into office and now i have to start again so it's kind of perpetual thing i would much prefer one of those four-year terms or something that 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 some of the counselors at large have maybe i'll switch to that next a lot of people listening certainly remember your dad yeah. But for those that don't, tell me the, the influence your dad had. So this is somebody who, you know, worked in politics, worked in the newspaper business, yep. worked in uh, PR, so many different things that, that converge into one. What, what did you learn from him that, that you apply to this day? Oh, man, he was uh, he was my absolute role model, my hero, coolest cat I ever knew. Um, yeah, he was awesome. You know, he was he was a guiding light on everything. You know, he told me about one counselor who got on, you know, as I started running for office. He told me about one counselor who was like, I'm going to change this. I'm going to change this. He's like, do me a favor. Just shut up. Listen for a little <laughs> while. Get a sense of the job. You know, so that yeah. was, you know, one of my favorite pieces of advice he gave me. And, and you know, and, you know, as I was running for office, you know, I was, I was so stressed out about it. So he's like, kid, you're taking everything way too seriously. Just take it easy. You're going to be fine. You're going to know. You know, he was just um, just a wealth of knowledge, man. The guy was, um, you know, such a, uh, you know, 
community social fabric guy. I just knew everybody and, and you know, was was just absolute uh, treasure to me for, for everything. So we, we miss him a ton. But, um, you know, he was uh, – he passed away in 2017. But like you said, he, he covered, like, John Gotti in Staten Island. Like, when he started as a journalist, he made his first bones, like, covering the crime beat in Staten Island – Followed the did the whole mafia growth like covering Staten Island came here covered the whole Lee Alexander era of Syracuse history covering the mayor there and the, the corruption scandals then got yanked into politics and so just a man who um, you know started in the seminary you know was on his way to be a priest so wow. like talk about living like seven different lives exactly. you know so yeah. I mean, we kind of have that in common you know but um, yeah I'm I'm honored it's really cool I won't go on too long about him but he once thought about running for the fifth district. Um, but pulled his name out of the hat last minute. So, um, and my sister is working in city hall. She works for mayor Walsh. So the, a few months after my father passed, I had the seat that he once thought about running for. And when my sister came into mayor Walsh's administration, he said, just take the third office on the left. And it turned out to be my dad's old office. Walsh didn't know that, oh, nor did my sister. Cool. So it was like very cool coming up, having a coffee with my sister and like, you got his old office. I got the seat he wanted, you know? So it's definitely a family affair with, keeping that that tradition alive that's really cool yeah speaking of mayor walsh uh both of you guys kind of newbies at this i mean he's been around yeah the, the, the politics world as well you were around it but now you're in, in it, it so yeah how do you find the collaboration with mayor walsh so far oh great man he's he's been awesome so far i mean you know um <laughs> i saw well i hope she won't mind but i saw county executive mahoney and you know she was kind of like she's like yeah it's early you know like not not in a negative way but she's just kind of like you know you guys are all fired up. She's like, this is, it's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint kind of, you know, kind of saying to me. So we're in early days, you know, we just passed the, the year marker, but Mayor Walsh is, you know, for me, it's all about communication and, and, and uh, transparency. And they've been great on those fronts so far. They've, you know, they've kept us in the loop on what's going on. And uh, if you've got a problem, you take it to them. So, um, you know, we're, we're on, you know, in the same way as like president and Congress, we're, we're supposed to be the checks and balances on the mayor, so we're not exactly on the same team. But it's great that everybody's, at least for now, putting disagreements in the back pocket to try to move the city forward. So, um, you know, he's definitely motivated. Whatever else, he's motivated by civic pride and a love for Syracuse. So, um, you know, I ride with him on that for sure. All right, weaving in, back into the music world, Jim, yeah. For those that don't know, you spent a good what? Almost a decade in yeah. London. Yeah, right? eleven years. Eleven years. Why yeah. London? Uh, you know, it was back in MySpace days. I'm aging myself now, but I, I just finished a, a, a record I was really proud of, and I said, "Where should I go?" You know, I just posted it online, and this friend of mine from New York City was like, "London is the city for you. London will love you. They'll you, you'll never leave." And I went there for a two month tour, uh, series of fortuitous events. Got hooked up with a manager. I think three weeks, three weeks after I landed in England, manager spotted me. He had represented CeeLo Green and uh, Danger Mouse. He introduced them, created the Gnarls Barkley Project. So he was big in the music industry over there in England, signed me within a couple of weeks of meeting me. Uh, I got my first record deal shortly after that. Um, so it was great, man. And then UK festivals, like the UK festival circuit is just insane. Just every weekend, there's anywhere from two to 20 to 150,000, like Glastonbury is 150,000 people. They have these huge outdoor festivals. I fell in with a tent that went from festival to festival. So all summer long, I didn't have to book gigs. Like I just 
would travel with the, you know, like a like a band of gypsies, you know, like traveling with the circus. They had me as an artist in residence, so every festival we'd set up and I would play every weekend night. And it was great because you, you wouldn't have to promote the gig or blah, blah, blah. It's just people are here. There's a couple of thousand people in front of you. You just go to town. And um, it was a great run, you know. And then, um, but yeah, just like the circus, eventually all good things have to come to an end. How has, you know, serving your community, getting into politics, activism, how do you balance everything? Because as a musician, you want to work on your craft. You want to be inspired. You yeah. want to record. And that's not always a structured nine-to-five thing. It kind of happens when it happens. But how do you how do you balance everything? Uh, it's It hasn't been in balance yet. Um, I'm really, like I said, I, I really uh, got hooked in with the politics thing. I'm just really um, loving seeing results. You know, and right now it's like... All these things, like I, I think I mentioned to you, like the lead ordinance. Like when I ran for office, I was like, okay, first few months I'm going to do something about lead. And, uh, you know, more than a year and a half later, I'm just at the beginning of the journey. You know what I mean? Like we've written, it's taken us this long to write a new ordinance, but there's so many moving parts in city government. You've got, you can pass, like I could pass a law tomorrow that says no jaywalking. You know, it's already on the books, but like it, enforcement is the real challenge so we can pass this lead law but then where are you going to find the resources we had to do an environmental study so um i I, i'm dug in deep with the politics haven't gotten enough time for the music but i think i'll get back there soon so hopefully as as i think as i see the end of this term um some of the things that i've been working on kind of coming to an end and i i'll be able to say okay this is what i accomplished my first term in office i can maybe slow down a little bit on the politics and get some more time for the music because council is supposed to be a part-time gig but i don't treat it as such yet so. requisite question for everybody in your position yeah what are your stand on 81 in the future of <laughs> 81 in syracuse new york my take on 81 i've been a big community grid advocate um and uh it's kind of funny because you know just like anything i think all of us there are those who say they know it's going to be gridlocked. There are those of us, those who say they know it's going to be great for the city. You know, um, nobody's really. We can't know what the effects will be concretely. We we talk to engineers, we talk to experts. They give us projections on what will happen. Uh, but the truth is, you can't be a hundred percent positive about anything. But we took a trip up to Rochester last week. They did something similar. They had a, a three or four bridges and a depressed highway that ran right through their city. And they filled it all in. They put it all back to street level. And uh, no complaints about the traffic. I mean, it, was, it wasn't exactly apples to apples because there was, was about 10,000 cars a day. I think, you know, and 81 has sizably more. Um, but they haven't had any complaints about the traffic. And about $200 million plus of investment has gone back into that area. So they're seeing what we've been talking about as grid advocates. They're seeing that synergy between neighborhoods. You know, I think you've got the biggest economic engine of the Eds and Meds on one side of 81. You've got downtown on the other side. um, And there's a complete barrier to those. I don't think there's good flow. There's not. And, and, um, you know, so I think they're seeing it there in Rochester. They're seeing huge investment, people moving back in, people saying, oh, I, I didn't realize the, the museum was so close. You know, people are walking. I think that's the kind of thing that we could see happen. So um, I, I hope that uh, it goes to a grid and I hope that it does reunify the city, bring our fabric back together, make us more of one holistic piece again. I think we had to expect a little bit of, of 
for lack of a better term, some friction when a new police chief comes in and he's putting in his style and, and the, 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 the rank and file are, yeah. are reacting to it. What's been your view of what's been going on with Chief Buckner and what we've been hearing? We don't always hear the whole story on these things. Yeah, well, yeah. But from your view, what can be done about this, if anything, or is it just something that you think will work itself out? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think that there's, um, you know, there's a, a lot of change happening and there's going to be a lot of tension around that. There's, um, you know, I, I feel like I, I was at the event where Chief Buckner made the comments that the police union had a problem with. And, um, you know, I felt like it was very much taken out of context. I felt like, you know, what he said was 95% of our cops are doing a great job and we have to support them. But the 5% that aren't, we've got to we've got to take care of that and we've got to be held accountable. And, he, you know, he probably didn't use the best phrases in the time. But, um, you know, he the, the point was 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 that was that they're doing a good job. But in order to you know, I think this is true, too. If, if we see that the 5 percent are not held accountable, that only hurts the 95 percent that are doing a great job. I think, you know, the people of Syracuse need to see that if um, an officer or a public servant of any kind um, does things that violate the law that they're held to the same standards that the rest of the city is. And uh, I think Chief Buckner, you know, from my perspective, again, it's very early days. I don't know how it's going to roll out, but, um, you know, I like I like the cut of his jib. I like I like the way he talks. You know, I like when, at that thing I saw him with, um, you know, he was talking about how we have, you know, one, one thing that, that resonated with me was, um, you know, someone asked him what he was going to do about youth violence. You know, we have some of the worst youth violence in Syracuse, 15-year-olds, 14-year-olds shooting each other. And he said, uh, respectfully, that's not my job. He said, I show up when people get shot. He said, I can be a part of this, but it's not just the police to figure this out. This is the community. This is our schools. This is our parents. This is our social fabric that will prevent this from, from happening. He's like, what the police do is we react. So we're not the, you know, and I thought it was uh, just the way he was, you know, on the spot, responding honestly and from the gut and, and saying some stuff that maybe was not politically popular or, you know, I, I think, you know, there's a temptation to say, well, we're going to try to do, he's like, no, you know, th we're not gonna be able to fix that one. You know, that that's on everyone. So a lot of the answers he's had, I thought uh, all around were really just straight shooting sincere. And um, yeah, I, I hope that I felt like it was a little premature to boycott him. You know, I feel like he's, he's just gotten here. He just walked in the door Um yeah, I hope I hope that the 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 force gives him a chance to to get his uh, his plan in motion because a lot of what we're doing is is trying to localize the department so that there's cops representing Eastwood, there's cops representing Sedgwick, so we get to know our officers more and kind of restructure it. So I hope that um, again, change is difficult for everyone, but I hope that we can work together on this one and, and, and bring a big change. But there's always going to be, like you said, tension when there's change. Joe, final question for you. In the long story nine-episode history of this podcast, I've asked a few people <laughs> this, and I, and I want to get your thoughts on it. What makes Syracuse Syracuse? Oh, wow. That's, that's a good question. What makes Syracuse Syracuse? 
you know, the snow defines us, I think, a lot. And I love that. I think of us kind of like the Starks, you know, like we're the <laughs> we're the rugged North Country. I love that. That I think it was Sam Shepard had those Rite Aid commercials where you got to admire the, the pioneer spirit <laughs> <laughs> of the people who decided to inhabit these lands. Um, but, yeah, and our, our basketball, I think, um, you know, Syracuse is uh, really no – no pretension, no airs. It's a real deal place. And, you know, you find people that are just down to earth, salt of the earth type folks. I think of us, you know, as a, as a real, um, you know, I, I, having traveled the world, you know, I love that kind of grit and, and realness and kind of no nonsense thing that Syracuse has. I think beyond that, like I said, man, I lived in Marseille in the south of France. I lived in England. I've spent tons of time in Africa. I did five tours of Africa, went all over the continent, um, I, I definitely choose to live here. Like I could have stayed anywhere. Like I, I, as someone who's seen, I've, I filled five passports. Like that's my, that's my biggest, I didn't make millions of dollars in music, but I got to fill up five passports and, um, this is a great city. This is a great town. And I love the, the grit and the realness and the, uh, the down to earth nature of it. So yeah, I hope that answered your question though. I, I, I feel like snow, snow, salt, good food. And down to earth people. Hey, what do you say? Have a happy day, cause we're living in Syracuse. 122 to 118, 139 to 120, 122 to 94, 123 to 117, 150 to 115, 136 to 84. These are not NBA scores I'm reading you, but they are professional basketball scores. From the ABA, games all won by the Syracuse Stallions, a first-year ABA team that has exploded onto the scene. With a 23-1 record, they start their quest for the ABA title in St. Louis this week. Michael Sugamosto is their general manager. It's definitely a different style of basketball than anyone in this area is really used to, not to discredit what's going on at the college level in this area, but um, we are fast-paced, action-paced. I mean, it's just non-stop. You want to talk about a true labor of love and mention how busy people are and trying to fit this into their lives. You guys make it to St. Louis. This mm-hmm. is this is where the championship of the ABA takes place. That's a 12-hour drive. <laughs> Tell me how you got there. Look, the Stallions, for those who don't know, you guys were number one yeah. in the ABA for a ten lot weeks. of the season. Ten, ten weeks. weeks. One of the most successful teams in the league right out of the shoot. But yep. there's some other good teams. There's definitely some other good teams. You're about to see them. Yes. Yeah. There's going to be Jacksonville, who's the three, uh, three-time defending champs. Um, Port City, who Port City just lost to Jacksonville by one point. Um, Richmond, who's very good. They've got all Division One, Division Two players down from that area. Um, San Fran, who was number one in the country. They're still undefeated, but they fell back a little bit. Uh, we're going to see some real teams. Um, along this season, we've seen some teams, and we've struggled with some teams that are full of college players. So some teams do it well and stack their roster, 12 guys, collegiate. All these teams that we're playing are going to be collegiate teams. Um, we're definitely going to be challenged. What's ahead for year two? What's the challenge to stay yep. in the league and look we've seen it yep. you know professional sports could be a brutal business mm-hmm. what's the approach for year two thinking ahead we'll be back in year two there's n- absolutely no doubts that we're back year two excellent um funding is in place plus we're carrying some momentum over fan wise i mean our last game we had to move from mph because we sold it out um two weeks before our game but next year looking at things the team may be different guys may move on um we may look at a different venue but we're going to try to keep the same level of where we're at. We don't want to go too big and then 
cause ourselves some trouble financially. We're in good shape. I mean, there's no, nothing stopping us right now. We'll be back. Mike, thanks for hanging with us. Best yes, of sir. luck to you, my Yes, friend. sir. Thank you. William Nicholson and Sequoia Iman, the love tones. It's what you get when you combine a custom 11-string harp guitar player with an energetic, engaging performer who can jump genres from jazz and swing to folk rock and so much more. Audiences of all ages and tastes are awestruck by this combo. When I came into your country When I came upon this land So much beauty overwhelmed me I put my life in your hands When the old place couldn't hold me anymore When they set me out to roam the first days of forgetting my way back to you I wonder sometimes maybe you are the key flesh and blood after all the light and the heat with your kiss on my lips light and sweet Kathleen Mason of K-Mace Productions catches up with William and Sequoia now on the sound scene. What would you describe your genre or style as? Because I, I know it's a little convoluted. <laughs> yes. So I, I just say we do soul singing. Um, you know, genres come, you know, we do a lot of folk music, um, some jazz, but a lot of it is just from the soul. Anything that we think sparks um, good conversation or good feelings or thought-provoking. Uh, music. I could not agree more with that. She Sequoia asked me the other day how to describe what's our genre, and I said salon soul. So <laughs> let me ask, explain the salon part. So I certainly did not yeah. know what that meant. <laughs> so salon culture, you know, pre-technology era. I play us. I play a eleven-string harp guitar. It's an acoustic steel string instrument, and it's based on a Baroque era instrument, the theorbo. You know, so. Salon music culture, sort of what developed into chamber, you know, chamber music. You know, small, intimate acoustic groups doing music in small, intimate places, which is what we do. You know, it's sort of a folk music, only it's broader than that. Um, the common intersection is, like Sequoia said, soul. We're we're essentially soul-driven musicians, mm-hmm. and so I come at it from the folk and acoustic tradition and the chamber tradition and early music and she and I meet on these soul songs so Salon Soul Set a drift across the water Water. It was just the wind in me Driven only by ambitions Taken into savage seas Till overhead shorebirds calling my heart skips a beat It's Mother Maybell from Virginia Come to sing for me, I'm found I wonder sometimes Maybe you are the key Flesh and blood after all Delight in the heat With your kiss on my 
the Syracuse scene really have, you know, they've embraced you because you've had some great shows. You've had two shows now that mm-hmm. have been, you know, packed, which is great. How did you start singing and how did you meet each other? So I've been singing as long as I can remember. I come from a very religious family, so church, singing in the church was always a norm for me. Um, and then I knew I could sing when I was in elementary school. I was a doo singer. That's like my first moment of being someone noticing, like, you actually have something a little bit different. And um, and so from that, having that training from being in chorus and, um, you know, select, select ensemble in high school. Um, so it's just been a mixture of singing for me. Um, and then in college, you know, we're broke college students, so we couldn't pay musicians whenever I got to ask. So that's how I got into um, acapella singing. And I actually sung acapella. I think the first time we met, I was, it was at my friend Jaleel's um, open mic, for um, which is a complimentary series for, he's an artist and illustrator, so he had open mics to compliment his series that he had. And I we actually didn't meet at that event. I, we heard we each heard other We heard each other without actually meeting. Yes, and then William can tell the rest. <laughs> yeah, sure. I, I said, oh my goodness. I, so... I've been a musician for my entire life. I was born and raised and trained, and I've been doing this. We're different ages, let's say, <laughs> Sequoia and I. Um, so I've been through, you know, different ensembles of musicians forever and ever and ever. I kind of came up in my professional career as a musician. I ultimately wound up as a solo performer and um, achieved some success in there, some modest success. I was a traveling so- solo professional entertainer for about a decade, and it sank in pretty clearly for me. I remember discussing, you know, over one, you know, particularly fine bottle of wine with a friend of mine that I learned I do not want to be a solo entertainer <laughs> and that the uh, the interplay of performing in group settings was more attractive to me. And unfortunately, you know, and I'm getting to why Sequoia and why I was so uh, intrigued by her, um, the reason I play this harp guitar instrument is that it really allows me as an individual to spread widely uh, compositionally and artistically across genres. There's no specific, although it's a steel string acoustic instrument, it's not folk music in the traditional way people understand it. I'm not a singer-songwriter in the traditional way people are, are kind of conditioned to conventionally hear somebody play a guitar and sing a song. And I really adore that about it. Um, and so it allowed me to sort of substitute having an ensemble of musicians to a certain degree. But what I really missed was the singing together, the harmony singing. But the various permutations of a group that I would put together would ultimately end up restricted in genre. You would end up with people who specialized in blues, jazz, folk music, religious music, anything. And so after I kind of out of the blue asked Sequoia, hey, let's go meet over at Kubal and let's talk about music. And it quickly became clear that her tastes and interests were all over the map um, and they were very similar to mine, you know, and that what's interesting about a song for me is also what's interesting about a song for her. And now this might betray her youth a little bit, but one of my favorite things is that she is in possession of this great, terrific voice and this magnificent gift of singing but she's not yet really committed to any particular style. And I aim to keep that going. You know, don't commit to any particular style. 
And so together we get to sing and do all the things about an ensemble performance that I love without being restricted to a certain type of music. show is really different mm-hmm. yeah. which is really great about it mm-hmm. it's not the same show twice ever and you both really believe in a lot of the community things that are going on here I know the last show that you did we had um, we rise above the streets um, and we also had a tiny home for good can you tell us what the next if, if you've if you've thought about that yet what the mm-hmm. next slew of, of community that you want to bring into your mm-hmm. Yes, for sure. And just to sort of briefly preface that, I mean, it's Mm -hmm. it's not just a random idea about something we're interested in. I mean, the power of music as a communicative tool for larger things. I mean, it really is the mother tongue for all of us human beings. I mean, you learn how to recognize your mother's voice before you know what it is she's saying. And in that same way, we all understand music. We know it feels a certain way. And those of us who study it academically learn why. But everybody learns what, you know, and how it works. And so... Part of our interest in doing good work with the gifts that we've been given just kind of automatically dovetails with, okay, well, it can't all be for just Mm self-gratification. We're not out here to just become popular musicians. We're out here to do good work and amplify the good work others are doing. Mm -hmm. So that being said, our next in May, we've settled on uh, Um, the the of. Yes, so we've agreed for our next topic to be in the spirit of justice. Mainly for me, the reason why I wanted to focus on justice as a category is because my inspirations are like Nina Simone and Sam Cooke, where they believe that your role as an artist was also to depict the times um, that you're living in and that you sing and you you perform to uplift people, but to also speak to what's going on in America. And as we know, there's a lot going on in our country. Um, So for I'm a bir- I'm a um, doula owner for a doula for a queen so we were gonna uh, we're extending invitation to Village Birth International who does a lot of birth and reproductive justice work in Syracuse um, as well as Black Lives Matter where and they do justice around state violence and um, racist violence in our city and our country and then also. Uh, extending an invitation to legal services of CNY and and the work that they do around justice um, in their field. So it's really a beautiful local and community mm-hmm. community show, mm-hmm. um, which is really great about it because they'll have speakers come up just for five minutes in between sets and just dis- discuss. And and a lot of people don't know when they come 
anything about these mm-hmm. these that they're even existing and so they have a chance to really get in front of people and and explain what they do which is really really great it sheds a good light and it really uplifts that was exactly the Um, rationale yeah and they also tailor their set Mm -hmm. to um the music to what community um organization they have so again these shows are brand new every single time you go and it's it's just amazing Mm -hmm. what they're doing is really fresh really cool you shouldn't, you shouldn't miss anything. What's Absolutely. up next, and where can people find you? Okay, so two things are coming up next. Um, in the immediate future, this isn't a performance of ours, but for the audience of this podcast, you could auction, you could bid on a silent auction in an event coming up, Leadership Greater Syracuse. I am a member of the class of 2019, Leadership <laughs> Greater Syracuse, and we have a fundraiser, Let's Get Social. It's a professional networking function at the new restaurant, Oh My Darling, at the Speakeasy downstairs from Oh My Darling. It is on Thursday, April 25th, and one of the items in the fundraising silent auction is a singing telegram from the Love Tones. Then after that, our next uh, performance at Funkin' Waffles is on Tuesday, May 14th at 8 Mm p.m. Tickets are available now. They're $10, and usually there's some tickets at the door. What there isn't usually at the door, though, is good seats left. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) get your ticket, get there early, get there on time. from our next episode, the Sammy Award-winning photographer, who chances are you've seen one of his photos of a local musician, Jack Obocino. If I'm on and I'm photographing just the drummer, everything else drops out. I don't hear the vocals. I don't hear the guitar player. I am focused on the drummer. And usually, you know, I can predict when he's going to hit the splash, when he's going to have both sticks up in the air. While I'm photographing the lead singer i'm also keeping an eye on on the drummer because he's next that's where you know my focus is going to be a lot of times even that's not predictable because the drummers are set back and depending on what the other band members are doing there might not be a a a clean sight line so you know all of a sudden a sight line will open up It's like the lane opening up in basketball. When it's there, you take advantage. That's next time on the Stick to Syracuse podcast. We thank you for listening to Episode 9. Don't forget you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and SoundCloud. Thank you to Joe Driscoll. Thank you to the Love Tones. And thanks to Mike Sugamosto of the Syracuse Stallions for joining us on Episode 9. Until next time, I'll meet you at 44s. Take my hand.
reaching for you. 